Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you lived in a way which showed clearly how much you loved God and how much you loved us, regardless of what it cost you. We ask now that you would teach us from your word to be and live like you. Amen. Well, I'd like to, uh, to start this morning by asking you two questions, which hopefully should come up on the screen any minute. Um, I'm not going to ask you to discuss this with anyone else, if you, unless you choose to afterwards, uh, but just wanting to think for a few seconds about the answers to these two questions. What makes you proud of yourself? What makes you feel good about yourself, if anything? What is it that you do or are which makes you think, yep, I'm an okay sort of person? And the second question is, what do other people think is good about you? Again, if anything, what do other people say about you that's good? Are you kind, friendly, generous, good-looking, can sing well, whatever it is, what are the things that other people say is good about you? So just think about that for a few moments. And it might be useful just to remember those, uh, both during the rest of the service and also later on. So perhaps you've got some ideas in your head about what you think is good about you and what other people think is good about you. Now what I'd like you to do is reverse that. Just imagine if those things, those good things which you think about yourself and other people say and think about you were reversed. In other words, if you were ashamed of what you think is good about you and other people laughed at you or even hated you for the things that you do and say. Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's telling not just his disciples, it's very interesting, at the very beginning of this passage, before this he's been talking to the disciples and also Peter particularly, but then at this verse 34 it says, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So this message is not just for a few special Christians, this is for everyone who wants to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you right now at the beginning, it's a hard message. And when I saw this passage, I said, thank you, Simon, for giving it to me. I suppose it's all part of what they call formation, right? <laughs> anyway, it's a hard saying because Jesus is saying to them, if you come and follow me, very often people will laugh at you, they will hate you, and they will despise you. And he uses the illustration of taking up a cross. Now, I guess nowadays we've tended to sort of, like we do with a lot of things which are hard, we've tended to sort of paint over it and make it pretty. And we say sometimes, oh, I've got a cross to bear. And what we mean is we've got something that's a bit irritable and difficult. Not insignificant, but not something really awful. What Jesus was actually saying there was that if you come and follow me, people are going to think you're a criminal. And they're going to treat you as if you were a criminal because that's what it meant to pick up a cross in those days. 
because as I'm sure you're aware, a cross was, the, was the, the, the ultimate punishment which the Romans dealt out to people that they felt weren't, weren't actually doing what they wanted to. And of course, the criminals, as we know from Jesus' own story, had to carry the cross to the place of execution. And on the way, I'm pretty sure the crowd would have had a good laugh at them, or they would have thrown things and spat at them, because we know all that from what happened to Jesus. So to carry a cross was to be treated with contempt, derision, and hate. It was shameful, and no one who was respectable would want to do it. And that's what Jesus says being a disciple of his is like. So can we have the next slide, please? And we get a little bit more detail about what Jesus means when he says to the people what it's like to follow him. We can have the first line on the second slide, please. The first thing Jesus says is, we got it? Well, first line, the first thing he says to them is, in verse 34, he says, deny yourself. Now, this is quite strong again, very strong. It's not like giving up chocolate for Lent, if that's what you've done, or whatever you may or may not do for Lent, giving something up, or even taking something on. It's not in that sort of order of magnitude. We're talking about something which is far more serious than that. It means saying, I don't really want to be the person I am now or was before. I'm disowning that person. I want to be something different and someone different. In fact, it's exactly the same word that is used later on in the gospel when Peter denies Jesus. If you remember uh, the story towards the end of the gospel, Jesus has been arrested. He's taken before people to have a trial, and Peter kind of sneaks along behind, and he's standing outside, and somebody recognizes and says, aha, you're one of them. You're one of Jesus' followers. And Peter says, nope, don't know what you're talking about. Never heard the guy. Of course, in Peter's case, it was difficult, because like me, he had a very distinctive accent, and people knew exactly where he was from as soon as he opened his mouth, and they said, you were with Jesus, because you come from the same place as he does. And of course, he denied him three times. It's the same word deny yourself, dissociate yourself from who you were and are. How are we doing? Okay, second one is not only deny yourself, but go after Jesus, follow Jesus, do what he was prepared to do, live as he did, face rejection, humiliation, and possibly even death. So being a disciple of Jesus is not necessarily going to be fun. Let's put it that way. And for many people down the centuries, that has been true and still is true. There are people now who suffer, sometimes die because of following Jesus. So you might think, well, that is really tough. And you're right, it is tough. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to bother following someone like Jesus if he's asking me to give up so much? Why on earth should I bother with a person like him? But the point is in those two words, on earth. Because the life we have here in this present world cannot last. It doesn't matter how rich or successful or famous or clever we are, we cannot hang on to it. How are we doing? We got another slide? 
No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you win the lottery, inherit millions of pounds, win Britain's Got Talent and become a major international star, know everything there is to know about anything on the, on the surface of the world, and everybody loves you. All of that only lasts as long as we live in this world. And it's not going to be forever, as we know. And not only that, all these things and fame and approval that we can accumulate will not help us to buy eternal life. You see, God doesn't do deals. There's no extra life for good behavior. There's no buy one, get one free with God. And there's certainly no double nectar points. It's pretty sad, isn't it? If we can't hang on to our life now, is that enough to make us want to follow Jesus? Is that it? If we just say, well, we've got to give all that up and then go after this guy, um, what's the point? And many people would say, there isn't a point. People would, many people would say, why would you want to do that? Have as much fun as you can, because this life is all there is. Get as much as you can. Be as popular as you can. And that's the best you can hope for. But Jesus says something else. He says, yes, it's going to be tough, very tough for some of you following me. But there's more to look forward than just that. Because Jesus goes on to say, towards the end of that passage in verse 38, he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, that's the kind of negative side. If you think about the other side of, of that, when Jesus comes in power and everyone has to recognize that he is indeed the ruler and the king, then those who have served him, who have suffered abuse, derision, and perhaps even death for being his followers, will actually receive his approval. And he will stand in front of God his Father and say, these people are mine. I love them. They have followed me. They have served me. I want them to be with me forever. And in fact, in another part of a different gospel, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25 and verse 34, Jesus says, and he's talking about that day when, when he comes in power, he says, then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, that's the people who have followed him, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. One day, Jesus will stand before God and say, these people are mine. So what I'm saying is that it is worth being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, because of what we will enjoy. First of all, because of what we will enjoy at the end as his followers. Now, it's a bit like um, when you were a child waiting for Christmas. I know for us, some of us, it's a while since we were children waiting for Christmas. Um, it's really got to be, you've got to be past the age when you believed in Father Christmas, if you believed in Father Christmas. A little bit older than that. So you knew that Father Christmas was a story, but you also knew there were presents. And you also probably knew the presents were hidden somewhere in the house. Maybe the garage, and possibly if your parents were really sneaky at somebody, friend or relation. And you always had that temptation to go and look for them, didn't you? 
or some people do. I know one, at least one person in this building did. <laughs> um, it was, you could go and look for them, but you also knew if you found them and opened them, Christmas would be a little bit spoiled. Because, yeah, you'd have that instant pleasure of looking at the present there and then. But, of course, come Christmas Day, it was like not much fun anymore because you knew what it was. Um, and it was less exciting. So Christmas Day would have been not quite so good because the, 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 the sort of grabbing the thing as soon as you could get hold of it, the present, was, was uh, much less pleasurable than the joy of opening presents together uh, with all the rest of your family. It doesn't, of course, apply to very small children who have to open all presents for everyone. But uh, for slightly older children, I think it works. But of course, it's not just in this life beyond this life that we will receive the blessing that comes from being a follower of Christ. Because that could be very tough and saying, I've just got to put up with everything till then. Jesus also says, for some of you, you're going to see things happen now in this life. In verse, the first chapter, verse 9, at the end of our passage, it says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. I think that means not seeing Jesus return within their lifetime, because as we know now, none of them did. But actually seeing the changes that Jesus' rule were going to make in their own lives and in other people's lives. And I'm sure many of us can acknowledge that we've seen the things that Jesus can do in ourselves and in other people and in the world around us. We've had prayers answered. We've been given strength to cope with difficult situations. We've seen other people become Christians. We've seen God deal with situations which we thought were hopeless, could never be changed, and by the power of prayer and His Spirit, things have been changed. So we see what Jesus can do through His followers even before this life comes to an end. So maybe like me, you've reached the point now of thinking, well, if it's all that good, both possibly now and certainly at the end of life, this life, what would be holding us back from being completely dedicated to Christ? After all, eternal life with Jesus and seeing his power at work must be better than anything that we can have in this world money, fame, whatever it is. Yeah, it's not like that, is it? You and I all know that very often we hesitate, we hold back, we resist the call. And of course, the reason for that is that we're afraid to let go of what it is we have. It's very difficult to give up whatever it is makes us feel good about ourselves. Remember the things I asked you to remember at the beginning, what makes us feel good about ourselves and what makes other people say and think good things about us? It's very hard to give that up, especially for many of us, because, yeah, we kind of like being like that. It's pretty good, you know, having a good reputation or whatever it is we think about ourselves and others say about us. That's good. It's hard to give that up. If we're really honest, we know we're afraid also of being laughed at, or worse. There's only one way to deal with this, and that is to put our trust in Jesus, 
to, to, to believe and know that he understands and he, un he knows what he's saying when he asks us to let go of everything that we love about this world and live in it and life in it. Now, one thing I want to make quite clear at this point is that I don't believe Jesus is asking us all to suddenly rush off and become missionaries somewhere. Some of us, he might be asking us to do that. He's not going to ask us to abandon our responsibilities and the ones that we have around us now and go off and do something somewhere else. Because very often his call, as Simon said earlier, is to be the witness here, now, in the place where we are, to love the people that he's put us amongst, the people that live in the same house as us, in the same street, the people we meet at work, our friends, whatever it is. That's often what he wants us, to take up the cross, because it can be harder there with the ones who know us very well and not only know the good things about us, but also the not-so-good things about us. But we have to be prepared if we're going to be serious about being followers of Jesus, to live as if we really believe that one day we will stand in front of him and his Father, and we will be one of the group of people whom Jesus says those words to, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. There was one great follower of Jesus who did end up having to give up an awful lot for him, and that was Paul. And he summed, I think, summed up a lot of this uh, very well. Have we got slides? No? Okay, I'll read it. No problem. In Philippians, Paul kind of sums up uh, Philippians chapter 3 about uh, some of the problem, or some of the, the, the challenges that he faced and how he saw them in the light of his love for Jesus. And he said this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then a little bit later in verse 10, he says, this is the, he's talked about giving things up, and now he's saying about what he gets in, in, in place of that. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being prepared to suffer ridicule, shame, and death for us. Help us to serve you in the knowledge that you love us and that one day we will be with you forever. Amen.